0: the brand herald podcast where leaders explore how great brands are built join landon wade owner of goods and clothing and supply company as he interviews business leaders and marketing experts to learn about the successes and failures of building great brands one last thing the views and opinions shared by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own enjoy the show okay um We're live, and I'm excited to have Waleed Behooth and Eric Anderson with me today. Um, First, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of the Brand Herald Podcast, where we talk to uh, business leaders and organizations, both in for-profit, non-profit, startups, in this case, uh, really just all centered around the idea of branding. And uh, the the show started with us talking primarily to customers. Uh, You guys are a customer. But we've also... stepped outside of that and started to try to do some conversations with some other people just really talking about the topic of branding um so again while and eric thanks for being here thank you yeah thanks for having us so you guys have a company called kindly benefits and we're going to talk a lot about that we'll talk about the recent name change and lots of things and probably touch on what you guys did before this but um, i'll i'll give it back over to you so wally maybe we'll start with you if you could just Tell tell me about yourself, your background, and where you're from, how you got to this area, if you're not from here originally, and a little bit of how you got to Kindly. Sure. So, been in
1: Louisville for about 18 years. Came here originally to work for a company in the process engineering space in the bourbon industry. Uh, spent two years working on the build-out of some of the distilleries like Woodford Reserve, And somehow went from bourbon to health insurance, which I've second guessed that life decision a couple of times, (laughs) but then left uh, left that job and started Humana, which was a great company, had a great time there for 15 years, Uh, learned all about health insurance, as well as just big company life, Um, moved around the company, did a few different things there, spent the last couple of years working on the commercial strategy for Humana. And Eric and I met in the benefits well being space uh, and really mm-hmm. stayed close for a number of years. Talked about the idea of, of doing something together in an entrepreneurial way and really started to form this idea around helping individuals and small companies access the health insurance market. Saw so just some of the challenges with health insurance, especially for small companies to find health insurance that they can afford that'll help them attract and, and retain good talent. We know how important um, just a workforce is for any company. You know, your people are your, your most valuable asset by far. And that's one of the ways that companies compete for people is having a, a robust benefit package. And that's really hard for smaller employers oftentimes to compete with the with the bigger boys. Uh, and then seeing just the challenges that some individuals have in, in getting health insurance led us to Um, to start the company. But back to just myself, love being in Louisville, didn't have any kind of ties here originally. I meet so many people here who are boomerangs. And now we hope that our kids will do the same since we're raising (laughs) our our three here. (laughs) Hope that they go off and have some adventures somewhere else and and then come back here because we definitely think of this place as home now.
0: Where's home for you, Waleed?
1: I grew up in Oklahoma City for the most part. My family is Middle Eastern originally, Palestinian and Lebanese. Spent a little bit of time in the Middle East when I was really young, uh, and then London, and then and settled in Oklahoma out of all places. So still a big
0: OU football fan too, Boomer Sooner. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No, that's good. And so I I I am just really quick. One last thing. So how did you make the jump from bourbon to healthcare? Like, did, was it just a headhunter kind of a thing, or was it a connection?
1: Really, it was about the company. I was looking for an opportunity uh, in kind of the the financial analysis space. That was my background and degree. I was kind of faking it in the bourbon industry. Um because I don't know how to distill anything.
0: <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Except numbers maybe, right?
1: Yeah, and, and Humana at the time was just growing explosively. Uh the year that I joined Humana, Humana doubled in size from thirteen thousand to twenty six thousand people. We we're hiring uh the company was hiring, you know, five hundred people every two weeks basically. And um nice. it was just a, a you know neat intro opportunity and and saw quickly that it was just a place where you could grow a fantastic community of people that were there too and a really great commitment to the to the city as well
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome
2: Eric, how about you yeah similar to a louisville transplant originally from connecticut um prior to moving to louisville my wife and i were down in nashville doing grad school down there. Um, Humana brought me to Louisville actually as a grad student intern and then full-time back in 2011. So it's been about 12 years now, uh, full-time in Louisville. Promised my wife it'd only be three years, um, but just kind of fell in love with the city as, as a lot of folks do when they move here. Um, yeah. So for me, again, while he said it, you know, we worked at Humana overlap there on the benefits and well being team for about 11 years um, total. The last five years, I ran benefits for Humana's employees, so had oversight of design, um, strategy for our medical plans, 401k, everything like that. And even large organization like Humana with you know, significant resources and abilities to do things differently, we still had some challenges that we dealt with in terms of just providing options that matter to folks based on their personal situations. Um, you know, we had four or five different plan options on medical, which great choices through and through, but still didn't work for everybody based on where they lived or what their family needs were. So, again, like this was another use case, if you will, of, you know, the, the company that Wally and I are trying to stand up. You know, it's something that can resonate with people on a more personalized basis, um, you know, whether you're a large company or a small business or an individual for that matter. But yeah, again. So we've been in Louisville twelve years. Absolutely love it. Um, share while well eat's enthusiasm. Hope our kids become boomerangs
0: as well. Um, but yeah. So a couple of things come to mind um, that I want to ask about. One is uh, Humana just made a relatively big change in the areas you guys were used to work in, right? Like they are they are they no longer offering certain kinds of plans. You guys will definitely know more than I do, but I'll leave it at that. Yeah. What change did they make? Sure. Humana exited the commercial
1: health insurance business earlier this year. And my last job at Humana was uh, to lead what was called the transformation office, which was essentially kind of a, a last ditch turnaround effort to try to turn that business around. Uh, it was, you know, we think back 15 years ago or so Humana was one of the, the large players in that commercial health insurance market. And that's really just selling health insurance to businesses and Back to our story, I mean, that's where we think there's a real challenge for small to mid-sized companies in particular to afford health insurance. Health insurance is all about scale in general, right? You think yeah. what you're essentially doing is taking a group of people and have everybody put in a little bit of money um, with the idea that if somebody has a, you know, catastrophic issue, then the pool of resources that we've pooled all together will be able to help cover that that family's need, right? Well, if you're insuring a small group of people through a small business, you just don't have enough. You don't have enough space to spread the risk, and unfortunately,
0: yeah, there's one, just not enough scale. It's like my company. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So, last question, I want to talk about you guys personally, and then we'll get into the to the business. Well, I got a couple kind of other personal questions I'll ask, and then we'll really really dive deeper into what you guys are doing because it seems to me also that maybe that change. And maybe i'm not understanding you can correct me if i'm not if i don't understand this right but that change may actually even then create a little bit greater opportunity for what you're doing now Um, because anytime there's less choice right or you know basically making it more challenging for the individuals to be insured
1: yeah i mean what we've there's been a lot of kind of consolidation or less less choices in that commercial health insurance market Um, and then at the same time many more individuals are getting their health insurance directly. So either through Mm -hmm. Medicare, Medicaid, the ACA marketplace or Obamacare plans as they're known more colloquially. Mm A lot of people get health insurance in in those ways so they're shopping for it on their own and oftentimes with the federal government picking up a heavy amount of the check to make it more affordable. And that's where we think there's, there's gonna be kind of a continued trend in that direction. And, and that's where our business is really positioned to thrive. Right.
0: So one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is, or maybe you could speak to, because you guys obviously made a huge jump from what were probably very, very good jobs. And you've, you've taken the jump out to start a company uh, from scratch. And so one is, I'm just curious if you'd speak to what, you know, whatever degree you're comfortable. So, how, you know, what was the planning like for that? Um, I, I think this can be very educational for people who listen and then also just like maybe transition into talking about some of the initial approaches to fundraising. You know, did you fund it some yourself? And, and I know now you guys have been, you have been doing some fundraising. So talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can share from my perspective, um, you know, generally I'm, I'm a fairly risk averse person. And so I'd say right off the bat, you know, I, it would have been hard for me to consider making a change in an entrepreneurial setting without a partner, you know, partner in crime, um, certainly having support of, you know, if you have a spouse or partner, obviously you, you make sure that they're on board too, but just having somebody who's kind of in it for the same, for the same reasons, you know, with the same thought processes, um, you know, we do balance each other out in a number of areas, but just having someone who you can kind of do the day in day out with, um, cause even, even with a partner, sometimes it can be like a lonely road to travel, like I think as a solar solopreneur, even more so. So I give, you know, even more hats off and credit to folks that are doing it on their own. Um, There's a lot (laughs) that goes into that for sure. Um, But yeah, you know, leaving Humana wasn't an easy decision, you know, it was a great company, um, just amazing people, you know, not even in terms of like just my team, but also, you know, my leadership, the people I interact with day in and day out. Um, And I think to a degree setting up kindly, you know, we're, we're taking in some of what we experienced in a good sense at Humana and saying, OK, how can we also build this into our business in terms of being focused on culture, focused on you know this people over paper mentality um, that was really prevalent at Humana early on? And how can we take that and kind of continue to carry the torch of being a startup in Louisville, startup in Kentucky, similar to what Humana did 60 years ago?
1: I would echo everything that
2: Eric said, in
1: particular, kind of the challenges of of doing it on your own, and and how much we benefit just by having each other um, on, as as new entrepreneurs. And also that uh, I've kind of found that the thing that that motivates me or keeps keeps me going is is learning and it takes it took a while to kind of recognize this, but as <laughs> kind of look back and see like when was I happiest in my career. It was when I felt like I was learning something new every day and challenged by that, and that was fueling, you know a, a desire and passion to do good work. Yeah. And uh, I think that's kind of the lens through which you should think about you know career opportunities. So you know if if you're early career and have an opportunity, to join a company um, that's going to provide you a lot of learning, you should go for it. Don't think Mm -hmm. that entrepreneurship is the only way that that you're going to get a lot of motivation intensity about what you're doing. You can find that in lots of different types of work environments. And then when you get to the point, which I think both of us got to to the point at various times where you feel like, okay, we're, um, you know, plateauing a little bit from a learning perspective because we've spent a lot of time and have a lot of subject matter expertise in kind of one space. Let's, you know, totally jump ship and swim in waters that we haven't swam in, but you know, before that certainly you're learning something new absolutely every day running a company.
0: Yeah, no, that's excellent. I I tell you, it's, um, having started my company in 2015 and did it on my own. I can tell you that what you're, what you're saying is so center of the target as far as, just having a person in it with you, it would, it would have been nice. I mean, obviously you give up in my case, you know, I didn't have that person. um, But, and you give up a piece of the business to that person, but in hindsight, man, it's like when times are tough, it's, it's good to have somebody who's like fully in it with you. Uh, And also when it's, when, when they're good. So, um, so when you're making the transition, Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, you're obviously, you have to continue to, you have bills, you've got families to to take care of and things like that. So you make this transition. How did you guys maybe fund the business or what's some of how you set that up so that that could be, you keep some continuity there as you started the company?
1: Yeah, I I would say we started uh, bootstrapping the company at the beginning, recognizing that because we had kind of worked in, in corporate environments for a while, uh, that we had a little bit of cushion to start, you know, and I think that was something that we really, really appreciate, um, that we, we had that opportunity and had that kind of longevity in a, in a career beforehand that we were able to build a little bit of, of cushion and not put our families, you know, in a, in a situation where we we're really, um, worried about activities, a daily living type of stuff for a bit, and then relied on, you know, as we start to go out in fundraising, we recognize that also having that prior career experience built us a network that we could really tap into and credibility. You know, too, that we've got you know a track record of of some success and expertise that we can point to in this space. That really made us a lot more fundable. I would right. say, um, made that fundraising experience go a little bit more smoothly. I certainly wouldn't say it was easy, <laughs> but at the same time, gives us. Gave us some somewhat of an advantage in that regard.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Um, what did you run it? I mean, how maybe just a quick? What was it like fundraising? I mean, you hadn't done it before. Um, I know there's a pretty good ecosystem here. You know, guys like Larry and Amplify and and uh, Render and and uh, you know, you guys are probably more familiar with the landscape than I am. But I know there's a good, pretty robust uh, support structure here. But how did that go for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd say we started earlier than I than I think we actually thought we were doing, like fundraising, you know, we were having conversations with folks that ended up being investors before we were really even thinking about whether we want to pursue them formally or not. Um, so it's one of those things like, even before you're thinking about fundraising, just start get out and having conversations and making those relationships like those are really important to us. And you know, some of the individuals we talked to for well over a year before we even made a formal ask of saying, hey, we're getting ready to do this fundraise, you know, would you like to participate? Um, so I think playing a little bit of the long game is important. Um, you know, I'd, I'd also say just the, the support network, it extends beyond the formal programs that exist, you know, granted, they're amazing, you know, Amplify and Render and the like, but even the community of other entrepreneurs Um, Are just an amazing source for you know expectations around what was it like for you you know what was good what was you know challenging Um, or you know have you heard of anybody you know they might know folks that you don't know and are willing to make those connections too Um, and as long as you know you're kind of reciprocating in the same way right there's a really beneficial ecosystem there too and you know. Participating in programs like Vote Awards last year um, was kind of one of the catalysts for us to really jump into that with, with a really strong cohort and just became really good friends as well, um, many of which have raised money and, you know, been been public publicly announced recently as well. So it's cool to see their success and it's, it's cool to be joining in that success as well from a fundraising perspective.
0: Yeah. Um, Wally, would you add anything to that? I'm just curious. No, maybe
1: just that you know, one thing that we learned pretty quickly about the Louisville ecosystem is it's extremely collaborative. I mean, there's a lot of great things about this community, Um, one of which is you're just you're not going to run into like a competitive buzzsaw that I think you would in a lot of other. Uh, a lot of other communities where people feel like they're having to compete with each other for the same resources I would say you know Louisville's pie isn't as big as other Silicon Valley and the East Coast and things things like that and you often hear a lot of criticism about the difficulties of fundraising because of that um, but again it's it's a very collaborative and supportive ecosystem and and um, yeah. prioritizes access you know for for
0: people at all levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. I mean, I guess what I feel like I'm hearing is, you know, obviously building a network, spending time with people with a, like kind of this genuine, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, just this genuine idea of like, I'm out to learn um, and get to know people and, and learn from them. And then if I can help them learn something from me, that's great. And then, you know, yeah, there are certainly things from a structure standpoint in place that, you know, will support provide resources and even sometimes become the conduit once relationships materialize where somebody wants to, you know, participate, but it doesn't replace just getting out and getting to know people. And that sounds like, I mean, the upshot of it is, is if you're somebody out there, it's like, yeah, you absolutely want to be connected to the startup community, wherever you are, understand the infrastructure that's in place, but most importantly, just get out and get to know people and learn as much as you can ask a lot of questions. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, case in point, I mean, Larry had asked me down to uh, what is it, Louisville Thoroughbred Society. That's how we met. So he just asked me to, you know, I hadn't been down there, checked it out. And you guys were, down, and, and that also seems like a great spot to make connections. Mm-hmm.
1: It is, and Larry is the mayor of it. I think always
0: from <laughs> <in> the <laughs> he's comfy like chair, the mayor of a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it feels like he's in the perfect job now. Um, so, so let's let's try, we'll talk about the let's transition to talking about the business. So it started as Arrow Health, and I know you mentioned a little bit ago about kind of what the purpose of the business was, but maybe we can revisit some of that and why Arrow Health, and then we can start to transition to uh, the recent change that you made where you've rebranded as kindly.
1: Sure, yeah, I can start there. I mean, Arrow Health originally, the, you know, first... The the business started with the idea of what we were going to do, not the branding would follow, right? And I think that's probably how every every business should start, right? <laughs> Figure out what problem yeah. are you trying to solve? Uh, how does how does your solution solve that problem? And then you know form a brand identity around that um, something that's that's really going to both communicate what it is that that this business is doing, and do it in a way that resonates emotionally. With your users whether they're individuals or or businesses but form an emotional connection with them you know and hopefully a positive one at that and so arrow came from the idea that um, we're being direct that the you know the company is uh providing is facilitating a a direct contribution to a health plan and that's really kind of the, the Product idea behind part of what we do is define contribution health benefits, where an employer is giving their employee dollars to go out and get their own health plan. So there was a a, a kind of a process component that we were trying to communicate of directness there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that we realized a few months into it is two longtime insurance company guys aren't the best marketers. And then we started getting feedback from some of the folks, and I think one of the things that we were intentional about early in the in the company you know journey is we we did a lot of customer discovery work early on, testing the product concept, um, you know, with a number of stakeholders, and the you know not only is that just a great thing to do in the early life cycle of a company, but I think you also quickly realize, like, who are going to be your really valuable stakeholders that will give you um, good feedback, constructive feedback in particular. And we got some constructive feedback that said, you know, there's kind of two challenges from a branding perspective. Um, One is that Arrow doesn't really communicate anything from a healthcare perspective. If your focus is on health benefits, you're using, uh, like, a weapon of war to communicate And that doesn't connotate health and, uh, and your, you know, your logo kind of does the same thing. And if you look at, you know, the healthcare ecosystem, you got a lot of, um, kind of light tones blue being kind of the predominant color and a lot of variations of health and wellness and, you know, warm, fuzzy words. And, uh, and then, so kind of playing it forward to, to where we landed first, we, we did one smart thing was, um, Get smarter people than us involved <laughs> from a brand and marketing perspective, and our primary partners there were Kalen Flax and Tarek and Allie and team, who were just uh, great partners, and yeah. not only like the finished product, but really helping us think through the process for how to rebrand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what was going to be important, you know, what we wanted to communicate both to our potential customers, but also what we wanted to communicate about ourselves you know, who we were as a company to Eric's point, kind of the, the type of culture that we were trying to create about the, the company and, and how we show up personally in that too. Um, and that's where kindly was born both with kind of, a uh, a, um, an allusion to, um, you know, the, the positive affirmation and emotion that we're trying to, to communicate in health insurance so that health insurance can be seen as kind of scary. We're trying to bring a kind touch to it. Um, and and two that it's got you know kind of a, a little bit of an intentionally uh, more of a, a appeal to the feminine that women are kind of at the heart of of healthcare um, they make up most of the healthcare workforce they make most of the healthcare decisions for families uh, including which health plan should I sign up for and um, so we wanted our our brand to reflect kind of you know more. Um, a softer tone to it and, and the team at Kalen Flax really helped kind of bring that to life.
0: Tell me about the process. I mean, Eric, I'm curious, like Mm -hmm. what, how, how many iterations did you go through? Like how much conversation, like what was a lot of the machinations, if you will, on the front end of working with Kalen Flax on that?
2: Yeah, it it really wasn't, too much from a naming perspective um we we were pretty dead set on on the name itself i mean we went through a couple different minor tweaks i mean we looked at a lot of different side by sides as potential alternatives but we just really liked um the the kindly message you know kind kindly what you can do with that in terms of like you know being kind it's our kind of thing there's a lot of different play, play on the word that you could use that, that worked really well. Plus, the, the, you know, the initial branding that they showed um, was really unique and creative you know, with custom lettering that they had developed. Um, so we really didn't go back and forth on it too much. I mean, it was a couple of week process, I think, in total. You know, we probably spent more time thinking about color schema than about name or font. Um, as well as, you know, additional add-ons, like little character characters and things of that nature that we could do. Um, but yeah, I think from a process perspective, that's where having a a great partner really made this a lot easier for us. If, like while said, if it was just the two of us, um, it would have been a little bit different for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I know that I, I really, I think I told you guys, I really like it. And you also have some, uh, I don't know what to call it, but you had some kind of characters that are a part of the brand package that are really cool that make it fun and appealing to kids too. Right.
2: Yeah. We just call them kindlies um, with, with the idea that you can use them and under the, the homage that, you know, insurance doesn't have to be scary. Right. So yeah. you, you think about they, you know, for those that are trying to envision in their mind, think about like Mike Wazowski or something like that from monsters Inc, you know, something we grew up in as kids. Yeah. So that kind of like look and feel, um, just again, something to make the conversation around healthcare a little bit
0: less ominous and frightening. Sure. So are they continuing, I mean, to help you now that you have this new brand in place, you have these, you know, this really strong sort of visual set of assets. And I know you're going through the process of clarifying kind of what, you know, what the products are, what the offerings are, services, um, and are they continuing to help kind of craft your sort of go to market now? Um, or as most of the, fu- the focus been on fundraising and not, I know that, I know that you guys are juggling a lot of balls, a lot of times trying to fundraise, trying to market, trying to do it all. Mm-hmm.
1: No, you just nailed it. It's really about go to market now. Uh, we're, you know, kind of closing the end of a, a fundraising round. So hopefully able to take a little bit of space away from that activity. Uh, at the same time, now we're we're shifted focus to standing up the product, our first product, which is called Kind Choice, and bringing that to market. And that's also come alongside a little bit of a, a shift in terms of our user base focus, which is that product is de- designed primarily for direct-to-consumers application. Um, so the go-to-market strategy there is... Uh, something that we've we've really benefited from help from them in particular thinking through like what are what are the tactics now that we take um, mm-hmm. to engage a pretty broad potential user base and what kind of things can we test in terms of effectiveness like how can we really get some some good um, feedback from users both in terms of you know how this application is working how it isn't um, what tactics are effective in getting somebody to engage in this type of application, what happens, What it? what's required to get them to follow through, you know, to not just get their eyeballs on it, but actually take action and, and become a customer. So, you know, we've got a set of kind of 10 things that we're working through from a tactical perspective that, that we're testing. And that includes everything from kind of event driven, um, Strategies where we're getting large groups of people in a room and facilitating them interacting with our product to, you know, traditional like search engine optimization type of marketing activities.
0: With the consumer being the focus right now, right? Like it's the direct to consumer side. And I think we talked about this because I'm on your website now and I see kind choice. And I know right now, for the most part, you guys are kind of um, more handling this by phone calls and a little bit more of a hands on. Approach, but I think you've got hopes that at some point there can be a technology component to this to where some of that onboarding can be automated and stuff. Am I right about that?
2: Yeah. So right now it it is through more of a like telephonic or, you know, Google Meet, you know, web based chat, Zoom. Um, We're building our product right now to take a lot of those learnings that we've gotten from the last 18 months and how do you put that into like a technology that's scalable that you can put out to, you know, several thousands of people at a single time versus just you know, 30, 60 minute phone call. Um, so, you know, we're expecting that we'll have a launch near the end of September, uh, for, for that product in particular. Uh, so excited to see kind of what we're able to put out there excited for the public to kind yeah. of see it too.
0: So I think it could be really helpful for folks. And that is, again, will be the software component of that, that initial product essentially. Are you also mobilizing on the corporate work too? Like working with companies. I think we talked about it a little bit for us to where you're trying to help facilitate sort of like smaller groups being able to provide insurance to individuals through sort of a fixed contribution.
1: Yeah, we are. Uh, we're being a little bit selective in terms of which, where we play in kind of the employer space right now for two reasons. One, this, this direct to consumer focus. Um, is just taking a lot of bandwidth, both from like a, you know, product development perspective um, and capacity to help as many people as we can. And that's, that's because there's a, a unique change that's happening right now in the health coverage in the United States, which is called Medicaid redetermination, where up to 20 to 25 million people are going to lose uh, Medicaid coverage over the next 12 months. And that, that's happening in every state. Uh, it's, a, it's a big issue in Kentucky. 37% of Kentucky is on Medicaid today. We're one of the highest states in terms of Medicaid enrollment. And a quarter million people are positioned to lose that Medicaid coverage right now. So we're working with the state and other stakeholders to try to transition as many of those folks who are losing Medicaid onto other health insurance, specifically the ACA marketplace or Obamacare, through our Kind Choice product. So just because of kind of the scale of that challenge and the opportunity that it presents, that's taking the lion's share of our focus right now. And then we're gonna switch to to more of an employer focus. What we're hoping to do there from a uh, product and technology perspective is um, build out uh, the, the product so that our individual health plan offerings can look and feel more like a group health insurance product before we're ready to take it back to a lot of employers we really want to develop that a little bit further um, to the point where we feel like it's it's a product that can stand up against a group health insurance plan like an uh, you know the kind of traditional health insurance plans that you think about um, and, and feel like it's a you know as the same product or better but at a lower cost point so that
0: should be coming in 2024. Yes. I mean, you guys are really kind of in a bit of a race. It it sounds like right now, really to try to right? I mean, a a little bit with knowing that that's all going to happen over the next 12 months to make sure you're positioned to take advantage of that.
2: Yeah. I mean, we we definitely are. (laughs) I mean, at the same
0: time, it's, it's, it's
2: kind of nice. It's happening this way in general too, right? Because in order to have like a really strong solution for employers, you need a really strong individual solution at the same time. Right. And so if you sell, you know, the employer piece without the individual piece, then you might have success out the gate, but you're going to have really challenge on renewals on just experience in general. So we think all the work that we're doing right now is actually going to dovetail really nicely into the employer solution that we roll out next year too.
0: Yeah, no, that's, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I can definitely see, especially when, I mean, it really just comes down to that individual experience and, Hmm. um, So I'm curious, as you're going out and and going to market with the sort of direct-to-consumer product, what are some of the things that you're doing? I mean, I know we did some t-shirts for you. We've done a few things here and there. Um, What are some of the the ways, and I don't mean just completely centric on the things that we do, but how are you going to kind of, obviously, you're looking for people that you can help and you're trying to educate them on how you can help them, but at the same time, trying to build the brand. So what are some of the strategies to just... I don't know if you do an event, like how are you going to sort of carry the brand or, or, you know, build the brand through some of those things that you're doing to go to market. I'm sure the agency is probably helping kind of talk through some of that too.
1: They are, they're really helping us in terms of how do we capture, uh, you know, people at the time when they are making this decision and how we, how do we help kind of solve their problem of how do I find health insurance in terms of like, Building out our brand and creating an association in, in people's heads between you know the work that we do and the problem that we're trying to solve and, and our brand itself, I'd say it's a long journey there. Honestly, you, health insurance in general—if you think about it—kind of compared against other industries, you might think of like consumer-oriented, you know, airlines and. Uh, cell phones and things like that, like branding and health insurance kind of sucks in general, right? Like people who are just having a conversation earlier today with someone who works for a health plan and and somebody who's, uh, you know, former broker and really involved in uh, kind of a big association now. And we all agreed that the way that people think about health insurance from a brand perspective is really convoluted. Like some people think I have Medicare, or I have Medicaid. Very few people understand even the the distinction between those two. Other people Mm -hmm. think of the the health insurer themselves. Like I have Anthem or I have Humana. And then another category of people just think about their employer. Like I've got UPS, they've got great health benefits, you know, and and kind of the the conversation stops there. And then you throw Mm -hmm. our company in the mix and we're really uh, an intermediary. We're a third party that's trying to streamline a very broken, disruptive process of trying to find the best health plan. So we want our brand to be associated with, you know, again, that, um, that ease and friendliness that we bring mm-hmm. to the process that we're going to facilitate you solving this problem of, of finding the best health plan. But ultimately... We're not the underwriter of the plan. When, you know, a person goes to the doctor, they're going to present their card that has a different brand on it. That's the health insurer's brand, you know, Mm -hmm. and when they have a problem with their health insurance, we want them to call the carrier because they're the ones who are going to help them solve that problem. Um, So that's a long winded way of saying we haven't solved it totally, you know, in terms of how, how we want that brand to show up. But I think we know, you know, we know the, the key components there in terms of the kind of the feelings that we're trying to create with people in the association.
0: It makes me think of, you know, our business a little bit. It's kind of an interesting time, sure. but like, you know, we are obviously in a highly commoditized space and we're a third party as well. I mean, we, you know, I guess we're, mm-hmm. with some limited exceptions where we produce some decoration in house or maybe do some kits and packaging and things like that, it's, we, you know, we call our, essentially our salespeople customer guides. And the idea is just that, you know, we we talk to people a lot of times and say that our industry doesn't have a product problem it has a problem helping people understand what products to choose that make sense for their brand. So it's like, you know, the moment you decide like you guys, you want to do a t-shirt, God forbid you go to one of the, you know, online sites and you'll get, you know, a thousand results. And it's just how do I make any sense of this? I think it's a similar tie-in, you know, I know that I think several years back, I had gone on the exchange and it's like, and how would I ever have the knowledge to make a decision here? Because, you know, and they really develop that exchange from the standpoint, there's probably a pretty deep level of assumed, like, they're going to know what to do when they get here. <laughs> and mm-hmm. a lot of people just don't. And it can be very overwhelming and intimidating. And, um, you know, so it's the same kind of thing. It's like this idea of like, hey, we're coming alongside you to take something that can be very overwhelming, very confusing. Um and try to make it not that, make it the opposite. And ultimately, because you've come, because you need health insurance, you need a, you need a product that will help you, and uh, we're going to help you, you know, do that. And I think, you know, again, odd tie-in, but we're we're similar. It's like, look, there's a lot of noise, and we're here to help try to clear away some of that noise.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great comparison yeah. and, and analogy, you know, in terms of taking something that's complex and trying to come alongside somebody and ease their burden. Uh, and and make it easier for them Mm
0: -hmm. yeah you know um, we're we're coming up against we're a little longer than i promised so we'll start wrapping up i um i really i love the business and health insurance has always been something that i've been interested in and it's definitely something in our country that is pretty challenging for most people um so anything that is a i think a unique approach to something that's pretty entrenched you know and how it how it happens and especially with more of a focus on the individual as opposed to the focus the other direction. I think that's one thing that's really unique about you guys too, is that, you know, even most of I feel like the innovations that I see are still sort of focused at the top of, you know, at the top, the big employers, the big groups and things like that. And that makes sense. Because I mean, a lot of times, that's where the money is. I mean, scale is, as you mentioned earlier, scale is hugely important. Um, So it's interesting to kind of take the opposite approach and really focus on the individual where I do think it's odd to think about building a brand in the healthcare space, because it's for the most part transactional and it's not like it, like I have never heard a person say, man, I really, Humana was going to save me a lot of money, but I went with Anthem because I'm an Anthem guy. Like that's, <laughs> they, they take the cheaper plan. I mean, that's just what, that's what people do. Right. So um, uh, I, I think that's really interesting. You know, you said that the idea, and I just, I wrote it down is like this idea of always having clarity on what problem are you solving? And so just bringing it to a close, I mean, talking about branding for me is, is businesses have got to be really clear on that and i think that more often than they realize they they waver and they from that to where before you know it you're transacting business because maybe you're chasing dollar not necessarily you guys but businesses you're chasing dollars you're chasing orders you're not delivering the value that you kind of created the business to do and then you're like you know man how did we kind of get veer off here and so to me that's one of like if 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 I look at what you guys are doing, they're very, very focused on this idea of we understand the problem that we're solving for the individual. We want to make sure that the brand is reflective of that so that when we go to market and we're interacting with people that we can help, that it's a brand that's approachable, that you know is consistent with how, they, how we want them to feel when they experience our product. Um, and those are pretty simple, straightforward things, but I think like a lot of things in life, we, we kind of know what we need to do, but we don't always do it. Yeah. Really well said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, The last thing I want to do is just tell everybody uh, if they can get, if they want more information about either of you individually or the business, just give them some information on how they can connect with you.
2: Yeah. I think from the business perspective, you know, our website is probably the easiest it's um, kindlybenefits.com and kindly is K Y N D L Y. Benefits, B N E F I T S uh, dot com. And then just personally, you know, LinkedIn is probably still the easiest. Um, you know, my name's Eric. It's E R I K, you know, because my parents didn't love me. Um, Anderson spelled it just S O N at the end.
1: <laughs> yeah. And we'd love to hear from folks, you know, especially as, as we're working to solve this problem of healthcare access, you know, in our region, if they're, Um, things you have questions about things that you've got a desire for uh, questions that
0: you've got, please reach out. Excellent. Now, well, again, I can't thank you guys enough for doing this. Uh, It's been fun, enjoyable. I appreciate the opportunities that you've sent our way here. And I look forward to kind of being with you on the journey as you go forward to continue building kindly.
2: Yeah. No, thanks. And thank you to you and the team as well, for the work you've done for us as well. So, I mean, definitely creating advocates from our side. So appreciate you guys.
1: Yeah. And we get a lot of very, very positive comments about our uh, t-shirts
0: in particular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. I'm looking forward to more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right. All right thanks, thanks. thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the brand Herald podcast. For more information, please visit the Also, please subscribe to our show and follow us on social media to stay up to date on all things branding. Thanks again for listening.